red hot. And uh, before I get into it, what, what I want to talk about today is the, the life of a faith hero. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 92. If you don't have, don't worry. I'm going to read it there together. But before I, before I, um, we, we start reading, I wanted to share just a few people, and, and Rich has been a big part of this, who are getting towards the end of their race on earth, and they're finishing well. And they're really finishing well. So if you look at Reg, and he was across the sea, and things are tough and things are difficult, but he's, he's listening to, to talks and music because he can't really read. Um, he's got this real sense of peace and of calm. He knows exactly where he's going. Uh, his kids are following the Lord. Uh, he's, he's followed the Lord. He, he loved his wife dearly. And he's getting towards the end of his race. And although it's sad and it's difficult and it's unexpected, he really has run the race, and he's run the race well, my Auntie Hazel, I think she's now 96, is that right? Or 96. Now, up until last year, she was still driving around, and I've shared this story a little bit before, but she's like, you know, I can't really see, but I just asked Jesus to watch over me while I drive. I'm like, I don't ask him to watch over you, I ask him to watch over the other drivers. And we were reading this all sort of stuff, but she was like, um, you know, praying for different nations and different Bible studies and wanting to invite people to church, and suddenly there was something she never ever missed. And still now, she has this passion for Jesus, she just isn't driving at the moment, which thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, but she's, she, she, she's still excited for God, and she's finishing well, and his, her life has, has borne much fruit, and it will. My, my um, granny, who's now with the Lord already, she was an amazing example of that as well. Walked quietly with the Lord, loved her husband, was stuck into her local church up until she couldn't walk anymore. And it was just an amazing testimony of what it means to follow God. There's a man called Dermot Havenga, some of you may know, uh, at Greystone Park Church where I was before. And I spoke to him when I was speaking there, I think half term. And he runs something called Friends. Just Friends. There we go. Well done, guys. Just Friends. And this is about caring for the elderly. Now, Dermot's not young himself. And uh, when I'm talking to him, he's now, his knees are giving him huge problems and he's hobbling along. And I just challenged him, I was just like, Dermot, how are you doing? And he's just like, you know what? My legs don't really work, but I'm just so excited about what God's doing. And I just love my wife more dearly than ever before. And you just have the sense of someone, and you, you think of their, their kids in the history who's finishing well. And then just um, this morning, uh, one of my um, faith heroes, probably the one responsible for where I am today, um, John Smythe, uh, he, he, he died suddenly yesterday, yesterday morning. And... It's amazing because in many respects, some of his life was tainted. So there were allegations of, um, of abuse and those sorts of things, child abuse in England. There were some sort of stories here. I never experienced any of it. But there was a significant moment where I was in a Bible study with a bunch of different teenagers at, and then I was 15 and he said to me, I, I think you need to be a leader on St. Paul's camp. And I, hadn't, I wasn't even interested. I hadn't even come before. And I know that if it wasn't for that moment, I wouldn't be here today. And uh, he's in glory with Jesus now, and there's been mistakes that he's made, and there's been issues in his life, as with all of us, as with David, David who we're going to look at today. And um, John definitely didn't get someone killed, uh, as David did in the Bible. But he, 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 in his last few years now, the last six months, um, he, he finished well. I read some of what he wrote. And that's what we're looking at today. What does it look like for you and I to finish the race well? What does it look like to be a spiritual hero of the faith? And those are just a few. I could mention many. 
And what does it look like to finish well? Well, to use a biblical term, they're bearing fruit, or they bore fruit in their old age. That's a biblical term, and that's what I want for everyone in harvest. That's what I want for you now, but I want it for you as well in your 80s and 90s, if God gives us that much, that you would bear fruit for Christ in your old age. And that starts with making some decisions today. Starts with making some decisions today. What we're going to look at is what have those people done who finished well? How have they lived? What have their priorities been? Compared to others who I know who don't seem to have the joy or excitement for God as they could in their old age, who maybe as they look through their family lines and their kids, they aren't really serving the Lord and their kids aren't really that excited for God. They're not really involved in church. And it's sad. And I've had many discussions over the years with adults and with older people who are facing this. Their joy seems to have ebbed away. Maybe they have a nice retirement. They might even have funds and resources and, and money. But there isn't that quiet calm and peace and security of who they are going to be with. And there's a bit of sadness as they look back on their life as to, as I said, why their kids and their grandkids aren't excited for God. And what I want to look at is what is the difference between those two groups of people? People in their old age whose life bears fruit and those whose doesn't. And what is the significant thing together? So we're going to read Psalm 92. We're going to dive into it. This is what it says. So this is called, some of you may have in your Bibles, Psalm of the Sabbath. In many respects, David, who is writing it or singing it, uh, he's talking about church life. He's talking about Jesus being a priority, what we're doing today being a priority. We're going to read through, and then we're going to come back and look at it. So this is how it goes. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute. Surely that should say, it is actually, hey, flute. It's actually a proper thing. Is it a guitar? You see, that's why we need people in the music team to tell you what instruments are. I thought I'd made a spelling mistake. Uh, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. This lines up with what Ian shared and Rich shared as well. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Very special song. I love it. One that's meant a lot to me over the years. So as I said, it's a hymn of thanks. It's a hymn of praise to God. And it's specifically based around the institution of the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath in that period, and we would still want to hold to it now as well, was a time set apart 
for worship in the temple, set apart for worship together. It was a time where there was absolutely no work done at all. And so you would worship, you would have meals together, you'd spend time together. But it was a special time set apart completely and utterly for the Lord. A day of rest and a day to gather and worship the Lord together. It's not just for rest. So it's not just for rest. It's not just for gathering together. So we don't do 12-hour services but it's definitely a blend of both. Sabbath days do vary from nation to nation, so people in Dubai will experience it on different days to how we do. But for the majority of us in Zimbabwe, we would take today, Sunday, as a Sabbath, depending on the job that you're in. So maybe if you're in medical or police forces, you may have to alter that in terms of when your day off is. But for most of us, the majority of us in this nation, we would consider a Sabbath a Sunday. We gather together like this as a people in church. At the same time, we have time for friendships and family, refreshing, building community. And so the primary focus of this song is about spending time together in this house, spending time together as a people, as a church, and what that results in. And so it shows God to be the most important part of our lives, the absolute central one, the most important one, the one who everything else falls around. So let's dive into it in a short, but let me just go back to it for those who don't have. It. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to go through it sort of verse by verse, and then there's a kicker at the end. There's an absolute kicker of if we want to finish strong, if we want to finish well, this is the sure way to do it. So if any of you are sitting there going, well, I'm 18, 19, 20, or maybe you're sitting there going, I'm 70 or 80, I'm not sure how many years left, if you put this into practice, you will finish well, you will bear fruit in your old age. It's a, it's a sure thing, but we're going to catch it at the end of this as we go through. So verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. This is David, he was the king massive authority, massive responsibility, massive wealth, but he starts this off in terms of talking about the Sabbath, what we're doing, saying it is good, it is right that we give thanks to the King of Kings. Look what he says, O Most High, David knew that King Jesus, the Lord, was more important than anything else that he had, that he could ever have, that ever took his time, he knew that Jesus was the most high, the greatest one. And that's who we come to on Sundays. That's who we come to as we worship corporately. That's who we speak to during the week is the most high one. The one who is more valuable, who is more important than anything else, any other demand on your life. I want to say and I want to challenge us that he is worth more. Don't let him become secondary. He is primary. He is primary. Let everything else revolve around Jesus, not the other way around. It's good to give thanks to what he's done. Verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To declare, to speak of, to tell other people of how incredible you are, of how faithful you've been in our lives. When was the last time, just in passing, well, how often do you in passing share with people, speak about what Jesus is doing in your life? People who know Christ, people who don't know Christ. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I would hope, maybe it hasn't happened, but I would hope that if you've come into contact with people who are Christ followers, you would have caught that they speak a bit differently. You would have caught that they care about things that maybe you don't care about. If that isn't the case, I hope it will be. I hope you've experienced that here. 
But this is so interesting. He says to declare steadfast love, and this is talking in a corporate setting, many respects, in the morning and the evening. Craig, do you mean church twice a day? I mean, is that even possible? I mean, on a Sunday, from, you know, could I even do church twice in a day? Yes, you could. Yes, you could. That was part of my upgrade, my, my, part of my teenage years. I'd do church in the morning with my folks, evening I'd go to another church. I just, I was excited. I was like, I want to go with you guys in the morning, but then I also want to go in the evening somewhere else. And when I went into my university days before maybe there were babies and things like that, that's what I did. It was a choice. I wasn't, I didn't have to, but I was just like, well, why not? My church had three services where I was at in Cape Town, and I was like, well, why don't I go twice? There might be a different speaker, there might be the same, but... Maybe I'll meet different people. Maybe God will say something different. So that's what I did. I went twice. My, my wife's here as well. She's um, doing Marjorie the Cow or something like that uh, in toddlers. <laughs> says teaching that. Very cool. Um, nice little. Uh, I hope some of you parents get to uh, wear the masks that are getting made. Very cool. I look pretty stylish when I did the test run. But when, when she was at university as well, that's what she did. She was there in the morning and she was helping and she was serving. Evenings, she was at a different one. And am I saying that we need to do that? No. We actually don't have the opportunity at Harvest. Do we hope that we do? Yes. Because there's a lot of people to reach in the city. So are we dreaming and praying and saying, God, do we need two morning services? Do we need evening service? Yes. Because there's hundreds of thousands of people to reach in the northern suburbs that God's calling us to. But for David, for others, it was exciting to spend time in the temple of God. It wasn't something he was in and he was like, I'm out of here. I've done it. I've ticked the box. I did church 9 to 10, 30. He was like, no, well, actually, is there opportunity for me to worship God even more? Is there opportunity for me to, to get there twice on a Sunday? Yes. Amazing perspective that he had of time with God. Time with God. So... We haven't got any immediate plans, but I do want you to know that as elders, and we had a great elders meeting, we're praying and we're saying, God, we know the harvest is plentiful. And we know that we could be five services a day or multiple churches, and we wouldn't be a drop in the ocean compared to those who need to know the love of Christ. But we want to put our hands up as a church and as a leadership and say, God, if you lead us into that, which I'm sure he's going to because he cares about the loss more than us, we're up for it. And my prayer is, is that you as Christ followers, Maybe some of you exploring faith and it would be great for you to be there. It would also go, well, if that's what it's going to be like, we want to be a part of it. We, we want to make, we, we don't care if church is the day, if we're serving for the whole day, if it means that more people are going to come to know Christ. Very, very exciting as we think and pray on that. One of those interesting things as you think about serving God and you think about extra services and, and those sorts of things, there's an extra cost. There's a cost, but the reward far outweighs it. And I really do want us as a church to really spend some time with the Lord and to go, Lord, if church does grow, which we're praying for, if there is extra demands or extra opportunities to serve extra ways for us to see the northern suburbs saved, am I up for it? My prayer is that we as a church will be the ones to put up our hands and say, we're up for it. We know there's going to be a cost, but we want to see people saved more than the cost. And so I want you to just have that in your hearts, be praying with us, saying, Lord, how can we reach this northern suburbs more? So we dive into the rest. This is about music, which we've got to do this morning in verse 3. In the music of the lute, not the flute. It's a guitar, guys, just so you know. Uh, and, and the harp. The melody of the lyre. That's talking about music. So 
temple worship was so much about music. It was about movement. It was about singing. It was about enjoying it. And so as a church, I want us to enjoy it when we sing together. You're allowed to smile. You're allowed to clap. You're allowed to dance. In fact, it's not that you're allowed to. I think we should in many respects. Because particularly in a white culture, not always, but for us, you know, we're very, very true and proper. Don't show emotion. You can clap if you want to, but that's about it. No dancing. If you want to just tap your foot, you could do that. That's acceptable. But you dance around, definitely not. We don't do that in our culture. How good is that voice? I've never done that before. I didn't even practice that. I didn't even practice that. That was just on the spur of the moment. And, uh, and, and actually, in Western culture, that needs to get broken. Because if we look at the Bible, people got excited about worship. They got excited to sing and to dance and to play and to clap. Why? Because God was worth it. Because Jesus was worth it. And actually, it's really exciting. When you start to dance, you do start to enjoy things more. And so, I'm not going to force you all to do it now. Maybe we will at the end. But as we go into things, I want you to come and go, Jesus, to me, it's quite strange to clap my hands because I'm very used to clapping like this. But actually, I'm going to get excited or I'm going to jump or I'm going to sing. Why? Not that everyone looks around and goes, Jesus, that person got some moves. No, because God wants us to celebrate with all our bodies. That's why he doesn't say make an amazing tune, you know. He just says shout to the Lord because you don't have to sing in tune. Sing out of tune, but let's be excited and let's demonstrate it, that we are excited for God with music. It was so much part of David's life, so much in fact that he's, he's known for being undignified and his wife looking at him going, that guy's a bit embarrassing because the king is dancing down the street and he actually embarrasses me. Men, how many of you have broken it down in church so much so that your wife looks and goes, isn't that a bit over the top? Because David did. The king of kings is worth us dancing for. He's worth us going for, for him, not for ourselves. But I'm just encouraging some of the men here to break it down so much so that your wives are like, I think you need to cool it a little bit. Ian gets started. Great. Verse 4 and 5. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. God makes us glad and he makes us full of joy. Not people, not stuff, not money. They may give us temporary stuff. But if you really want joy, if you want to access that, if you want to access purpose, if you want to access joy, if you want to access hope, it's found in nothing else and no one else except Jesus Christ. You can try. Go after any other measure, but you will not find it except in Jesus. And so, if you want joy, if you want excitement, you will find it in Him. That's why in verse 4, that's why David says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. The hands, at the work of your hands, I sing for joy. His work in our lives through the good and the tough brings us joy. I was just looking back and I was thinking on it. Do any of you remember, were any of you in the service when we prayed for those Thai boys who were in the cave? Do any of you remember? So I didn't share it the week afterwards, but we prayed and literally half an hour or whatever else during that day afterwards, they were all rescued and they got on life. And it's so easy for us to go, well, our prayers meant nothing. There was probably millions of people around praying. Maybe there weren't. But my, my, what I'm saying is, is prayer is powerful. And I have no doubt that our prayers that Sunday had an impact to every one of those boys getting out alive. But as we look back on it now, and we go, Lord, we prayed, look what you did. It brings joy at the works of God's hands. 
I know that I got the message about uh, Ted Ibiza, and he was obviously trying to get uh, political asylum out, and, uh, and he had, I think, got across Zambia, and he got the court order, and then it got rejected by the police, as happens. Uh, and, and, and I know that as I got that in the morning, I just really felt the Lord say, you've got to pray. You have to pray that this gets resolved. It's not just like, oh, that's just another political thing in Zimbabwe. It's like, no, actually pray. Take prayer seriously. And so I did. I got down, I prayed, and I said to a few other people, I said, let's pray. And then obviously the news came later that the president, which in itself the court should be higher, but either way, he was like, no, he must be released on bail. And I was like, Lord, but that is you answering our prayer. We can always say it's coincidence. There's always ways to do it, but that is him answering our prayer. And when we look back at his works, it brings us joy because we see him working in the supernatural through what we do. And so look upon his works, look back over your life, give thanks, and you'll have the sense of joy that comes up from your heart. Take time each day, each week, to look back, to look at what God's done. Even if it's, Lord, I actually was able to buy dinner for my family each night this week. Doesn't matter whether it's small, whether it's big, I had a bed to sleep in, uh, I was able to go on holiday, doesn't matter what it is, but it is so true that grateful people are joyful people. Because when we look back on what God's done, it does overflow us with His joyfulness. So I want us to be joyful, thankful people. Now I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on verses 6 to 11. Ian covered a lot of this last week, so you definitely can listen to that on the website. But this is the reverse of what happens to people who worship. This is the opposite that David covers. So he's talking about this, who God is in church, we give thanks and we praise you, and then he looks at the people who are operating in a different way. Quite harsh language. He says, the stupid man cannot know this, he doesn't know this, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass, so though they pop up and they, they, they maybe look like they're green and things are happening, and all evildoers flourish, so it looks like on the surface, that there's flourishing, there's happening, things that we would like to see happen in our own lives, they're doomed to destruction forever. But you, O oh Lord, why, why are they doomed? Because they don't turn to Jesus Christ, because they don't follow Him. But you, O oh Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O oh Lord, I think I wrote that twice, sorry. Behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You've poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my assailants. And this one has come up from Bruce's word last week. Those who are here, some of what's been shared is really us going, Lord Jesus, whilst it may look like evil is flourishing, whilst it may look like there is no judgment or there is nothing happening to those who are doing evil, we put it in your hands, we lay it on you, and we know that ultimately you will be the judge. We know that ultimately you will set everything right, and we leave it in your hands. And actually, we pray that they will turn to you, because what they will experience in the absence of God in hell forever is more horrific than anything. And so we need to pray. We need to say, Lord Jesus, reach out and change hearts. Reach out and save because that is not somewhere where we want our worst enemy to go. It's a place absent from God's goodness. We don't want anyone to go there. And we want to pray that God transforms and changes and saves. 
And then David gets into the heart of the matter. So he started off, he's talked about worship and putting God first. Then he said, but what about these other people? And it seems like they're not doing this, but they're flourishing. What's the story? What's happening? And he's saying, well, actually, destruction is heading their way if they don't turn to Christ. And then we dive into the kicker of the preach, as it were. Verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So he says they flourish like a palm tree. And I just want to jump to it. I've got a little picture of it. There's something stately about palm trees. I don't know, but whenever I see it, whether it's by the sea or whether I'm driving down the road on Corn Avenue, as you get towards Arundel Village, just down the road from here, there's people who have these amazing Cuban royals. They're those perfect ones outside their house. And it just looks stately. It looks kingly. It's almost like royalty should stay there. There's something incredible about palm trees and what they stand for. And so he's saying the righteous will flourish in that kingly manner like a palm tree, and they will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now, I've never seen what one of these look like, so I thought I'd show it to you. That's a bit what they look like. There's another one as well, sort of a cedar forest. They were in, in a massive way in that area, the area of Lebanon. That's what they got known for. But beautiful trees, still known the world today for incredible timber, long-lasting, very strong, very sturdy, very useful oils, resin. So just a tree that could be used all around and it was used for building in biblical times. But it was a symbol. It was known as the king of trees. It was a symbol of strength, a symbol of stability and a symbol of value. So the, being called a cedar was, was something immensely special in that time. And as you read through the Bible, you see how much imagery speaks to that. So like the cedars. So it says, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Amazing. Cedars grew to about 40 meters, or they get about that height. They're an evergreen conifer, and uh, as I said, immense, uh, immense value. Beautiful, beautiful looking trees. If only we had them here. And I don't know about you, but I would like to be like that. If imagery is anything, I would like my life to look like a stately Cuban royal palm tree or to look like a tree, a cedar, that has immense value. If I looked at it in imagery terms, I would like my life and yours to be able to be summed up like that. Rather than going, it's a bad example, but rather than going, they look like a guava tree, I would rather, because I just do not like guavas, some of you may like them, I would rather people say, the people of harvest are like cedars. These guys are strong, they're valuable, they're useful, they get help, they, they help in building other things, or they're like a palm tree. I look at their life, I look at the way that they're living, there's just something special about it. There's something kingly about it, there's something other about it. I would love them to say that about us, rather than, oh my goodness, look at Kath, she's just like a guava tree. And some of you, if you like guava, I'll pray for you after the service that the Lord heals you of that. Guavas came as a result of the fall. Um, so uh, that's what I would love to be said about each of us one day. But here is the kick. It actually reminds me there's one at our house. I'm going to cut it on. So here's the kicker. It says in verse 13, I'll actually just go back so we can, we can quickly read it. Verse 13. So those people, the righteous flourish like the palm tree, and righteous 
Because of Christ, righteous doesn't necessarily mean we always act the right way. It means we're put right by what he did for us on the cross. We're never going to be perfect. Righteous means that we are saved by grace. Okay, so those who are saved by grace, but then in another sense, it's those who are living for him. They grow like a palm tree seed. Now, this is, this, is, this is the key. Verse 13. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. I'll read the rest because this is what David was talking about with the older people. They still bear fruit in their old age. They are ever full of sap and green. So the trees are flourishing in their old age to declare that the Lord is upright. Here's my rock. There's no unrighteousness in him. So they're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of the Lord. For these people who are righteous, church is not something that they go to. It is who they are. Church is not something you attend. It's not a box that you tick. Doing faith things isn't a box that these people who flourish tick. It's who they are. It's part of their DNA. It just, it just overflows out of them. They're established. They're planted. They're connected. Church life and following Christ is priority. It's priority number one. They don't talk about church or doing church stuff like going to a coffee shop maybe in Harare or going on holiday. Like, mm, have a little bit of extra cash. Weather's looking pretty good. I feel like one of those great coffees. I'd love to have one of those cheesecakes. Mm, I think I'm going to go to a coffee shop today. They don't think on church like that. It's easy to do that. So the righteous those are planted in the house of the Lord. They don't talk about church like going to a restaurant or going on holiday. They're going, mm, yeah, the, the weather looks nice as I said. Great, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to a coffee shop. With church, it's not like so um, the weather's a little bit cold. Um, I had a bit of a late night last night. There's a great sports game on, starts at 9:30. Okay, I won't be able to make church today. They're like what I'm doing at church, I'm, I'm doing. Everything else goes around it, but this is my priority. Am I saying holidays are bad? No, not at all. Holidays are great. So, of course, we, we miss church and things like that, but I'm saying their life on the whole, it is their priority. That's what they do. They're there and stuck in and plugged in because in a sense, it's impossible for them not to be because it's part of who they are. It's just who they are. They're planted. You think about a tree. If we are all considering ourselves as trees, obviously not garbage trees, that'd be outside. But uh, palm trees and cedars, if we are planted here, right now, imagine planted here, almost in a sense immovable, church life is who we are. It is who we are. We're not planted at home and we're sort of going, you know what, it's quite hard to uproot. It's really difficult for me to get to church on Sunday. I've got to pull out of this and get this root out. It's actually going, it's really hard for me to get away. I actually love it so much. It's so much part of who I am, that church life and living out for God. I, I struggle to get my roots somewhere else because they're so deeply planted here in the house of God. I've met many people who do go to church when there's nothing else on and I've chatted to many, chatted to many parents of Zambezi holidays, teenagers while I was working with teenagers who went to church when there was nothing else on or when there wasn't another plan that could be made, it was like, man, my friends aren't doing anything, I can't go to the lake, I can't do this, I can't be on holiday, I've already been on like six times a year. Um, okay, I, I, I'll head to church on a Sunday. I've chatted to many who do live like that, who church happens when 
you're not away for the weekend, or there isn't sport to watch, or you maybe woke up earlier than expected, and you're like, oh, I've been up for an hour and a half. Okay, I need to fill the day. Let me head across to church. Let's maybe attend. And as I said, the decision is made as going to a restaurant or movie, whereas work functions or, or children's sports is a 100% commitment. We're there. No ways we're missing that work function. No ways we're missing the kids' function. But yeah, church life, we, we can miss. And I've had so many conversations with those same people about joy in their life, about their children who aren't following the Lord, about a sense of lack of purpose and hope. I've had so many conversations and there's such a deep sense of dissatisfaction, a deep sense of sadness with their kids. And I've counseled many, many parents over the years who sat and just said, listen, my teenager's off the rails. My children isn't, my child isn't following God. Um, I, I, I'm really struggling to follow God. He's not a priority in my life. And every time I've got down to it, I've often said it to them, or sometimes I've wanted to say that this is the outworking of you not being planted in the house of God. This is yearly outworking of you not saying that for me and my family, we are planted in the house of God. It is what we do. It's not something that we go to. It's what we do, it's who we are. And I know that there's exceptions. I know that there's many people I've chatted to who are sold out, running hard after God, and for some reason, and we don't always know why, their children haven't followed God, or they struggle with those areas. So I know that there's exceptions. There's always, there's always exceptions, and God's still working in those situations. But the majority of the time, the majority of the time, in the many counseling hours I've done with parents and those in the old age, one of the key reasons is because they are not planted in the house of God. And it's my prayer that us as a church, we would be summed up as a people who are planted in the house of God. We are planted and He is our priority. You see the difference between those elderly that we share who are bearing fruit in their old age and those who aren't. Very often, it's the difference between, and I'll use one of Corky's illustrations, it's the difference between playing on the field and sitting on the sidelines. It's the difference between letting good things like birthdays, family trips, hobbies, kids' sports, school functions be the enemy of the best, which is making church life priority. Brothers and sisters at Harvest, please, 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 make a decision. And it doesn't matter if you're in your 80s now, or whether you're 18 or 19. Make a decision to plant yourself in the house of God to plant yourself, to dig roots deep, to plant yourself. And if it doesn't feel like it should be here, then make it another church. There's been many other people who say, oh, well, I struggle with that church, so I'm, I'm just not going anymore. I just won't plug it anywhere else. Plant yourselves. I would love to be here. I'd love to plant it. I say, we're going we're gonna to grow here. We're going to put roots deep. And we want to see other people plant it. But if it isn't here, maybe somewhere else. But make a decision to plant yourself in the house of God because this will be your stunning result. The stunning result, verse 14, is that you will bear fruit in old age. You will ever be full of sap and green. And you will declare that the Lord is upright, that He is your rock, and that there is no unrighteousness in Him. And I so want that for every single one of you here today. Maybe you're here and you're going, well, this is my first visit to church, or I've been twice or three times, I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm still exploring. There's a lot that we can share with you on that journey. I'd love to chat to you, but I do want you to know that if your life is going to count in this lifetime and for all eternity, it'll come from knowing Him and being planted in His house.
My heart is that as we as Harvest, we wouldn't come to church, but we would be the church. That we would see many grannies and grandpas, myself included in that time, many grannies and grandpas bearing fruit in old age and looking on their children and their children's children and seeing them bear fruit because of the result of them choosing to plant themselves in the house of God. I want to end with a mind-blowing statistic. Ah, this is how I want us to look versus that. Do you notice how I didn't use guavas? <laughs> I love oranges. I want us to be bearing fruit. I want us, in a metaphorical sense, to look like this in our late years, rather than to look like this. I so want that for us in a spiritual sense, and it will happen from being planted. So here's the step before I close off and pray. So we have been living through probably 10 years, obviously many more years, but if you look at the first election that happened where um, there was loads of violence and those sorts of things, 2008, there's obviously been other ones, but if you look at one that was, was incredibly significant, I want to imagine that there were 100 sold out for Jesus, planted in the house of harvest, Christ follows at that point in time. I don't know, but I'm saying just imagine if there was. And they said, Lord Jesus, we care about the Great Commission and we want our friends and our family and our colleagues to come to Christ, to be saved, to move from death to life, from hell to heaven. We want to see people transformed by your love, to see their sins paid for and for them to come into a new life. And we are going to pray and we're going to ask you for just one person, to show us one person each year, just one Lord Jesus, that I'd build a friendship with, that I'd come to know, that I'd have the courage to invite along to church or to share what you've done in my life. And I'm just praying that just in 365 days, there would be one person who comes to faith as a result of you. Just one in 365 days. And imagine if that was the case, which I think as Christ followers, we should be praying for a lot more to come to faith than the result of us, but I'm just doing it as a stat of one. So, in 2009, that means that there'd be 200 people in Harvest, or they don't have to join Harvest, they could be stuck into other churches. And then imagine if, because the thing of being a disciple-making people, we don't just ask people and then bring them to Christ, we, we want them also to catch God's heart, to want to see their friends and their family saved as well. So imagine if each person afterwards uh, gets the same heart for just one person, just one person per year. 2010, 400, 2011, 800. There would be an extra 102,400 Christ followers at this point in time. If we had taken that seriously 10 years ago. But can I tell you that if we take Christ's commission seriously now, then in this nation, in 10 years' time, there can be that at the very minimum of Christ followers who are sold out for Jesus. Now, I didn't do the rest of the stats, but from there, you can imagine, if that's really doubling year on year, that is an astronomical amount of people. Now, my thought process in this, and obviously God is sovereign, I understand that, but He works through us. I wonder how many of those 102,400 could be, or could have been, politicians, could have been people in the police force, could have been people in the military, how many could it be if each of us take that goal seriously? Can I guarantee you that if we take that seriously, well, we'll definitely have to have more services. There'll definitely have to be other churches. 
And I want us to think about it this morning to go, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, if you really hold the keys of life, if you really have saved me, and if you really have put me on a trajectory for heaven, please show me just one person this year to share the truth of what you've done in my life. Just one person. That they might be added to your kingdom. That they might be saved. And we'll have an opportunity to see this nation and others changed by the result of being obedient to Jesus Christ. So let's make sure that we are planted in the house of God today and for the rest of our lives to take Jesus seriously. The impact will be astounding. The impact in 10 years will be astounding of the decisions we make today. Let's pray. I just want us to the Lord's here, He's speaking. If you're here and you don't know Him, He'll be speaking, I'll give you an opportunity to respond in a bit, but He'll be calling you, He'll be drawing you, He'll be saying, I've got more. I've got more for you. I've got real life ahead for you. So I just want you to listen, and maybe your heart will be racing, but I just want you to listen for the call of the Lord. Because he's the one who makes us move from death to life and will be speaking to you. The rest of us here, I just want you to think about what it means to be planted in the house of the Lord. What it means to put your roots down. What it means for Jesus and for his kingdom to be your priority over everything else. What will the outworking of that look like? Where are you? Are you planted? Or maybe are your, your roots somewhere else? Maybe your roots are in your kids' lives more than church. Maybe they're in business. Maybe they're in um, your own focus and your own dreams. Maybe you're planted at home and that's your, your home sphere is where you're planted. I want to challenge you if you aren't planted, really planted. I want to challenge you today to say, I want to plant myself in the house of God. I want to make Jesus and his kingdom the priority. And if that's you, I would, just in terms of a response, say, whether you want to do it afresh or you're already doing it, I, I would just love you to stand before the Lord and say, God, I want to be planted. I want to bear fruit for you and your kingdom in my old age. And I want to afresh commit myself to just say, I want to be planted in your house. So if that's you, just you can stand and say, Lord, this is this is me, this is what I'm committing to. Yeah. And you don't you don't have to feel pressure if you still want to think and you still want to analyze and go, well, I'm just not quite sure. That's that's also okay. That's all right. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, there's people standing around church listening to a voice and standing a physical demonstration to just say I want to be planted I want to bear fruit in my old age I want to make decisions and turn around priorities so that your church because it's your church Jesus it's not ours is, is my priority and my life and how I live it and how I act it is priority and so Lord Jesus thank you for um, each person who stood either fresh or a fresher, I ask that you would show them 
um, where to plug in, show them what priorities to change, show them uh, their gifting, show them what excites them, uh, give them a joy that bubbles and overflows to be to be part of increasing your house, what, what your house is all about and what it's up to and how it's advancing.